Well, I invite you to turn, if you'd like, to Second uh, Kings chapter five. Second Kings five. We're actually going to be uh, reading verses fifteen through the end of the chapter and and dealing with uh, those same verses. So Second Kings five. Verses 15 through 27. Before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we attend to your word now, we pray that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit who wrote it that you'll cause us to see things that maybe we just need reminders of, which we've already known, or things which we haven't seen, that your word might uh, be uh, indeed precious to us, but that it also might leave us changed. And so glorify yourself, lift up our hearts to love you more on account of this, and make us more and more like your son. Encourage and edify your people, and save any who are lost, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Right, 2 Kings 5 at verse 15 then, He, Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth for From now on, your servant will not offer uh, burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets, Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. As far the reading of God's word He blessed to our hearts and lives this morning. Beloved brothers and sisters of hope and everyone who's uh, listening today, um, we noticed last time that uh, no matter how powerful a person is like Naaman coming 
as really the, the five-star general, uh, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, just a huge military presence in Syria with all this money, gold, silver, changes of clothing, no matter how powerful a person is, uh, the Lord's salvation operates in the exact same way. Everyone has to humble themselves before the Lord and undergo forgiveness of sins by trusting in, in the Lord Jesus Christ and being washed in His blood. Naaman didn't like the idea, he resisted it, but all the servants around him, a servant girl, the servant of Elisha, and his own servants, were like, look, this is what you need to do. And so he submitted to it, and he was made clean, and he was made whole, and, and as I would argue, born again. He became a believer uh, in, in God at that point. And now we have sort of a part two, his response, and what happens after this, which is a, 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 an interesting uh, episode. And as we walk through this, I want us to, to look at uh, this in the context of God's grace. God extended amazing saving grace to a pagan, Naaman the Syrian. And I want us to see the evidence of God's grace in Naaman's life, the freeness of the grace offered, the despising of the grace by Gehazi, the undoing of grace by Gehazi, and then the cost of undoing God's grace. So those five things. I'd like to begin with the evidence of grace. And we, we notice this in verse 15 and then verses 17 through 19. Uh, notice what Naaman said, verse 15, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Behold, I know that now. And then in verse 17, Naaman said, If not, if you won't take this gift, please let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And then he asked to be pardoned for going into the house of Rimmon and bowing down in a posture of worship when his master does that. And Elisha said, look, go in peace. That is just fine. Notice, he was saying publicly first that Israel's God is the only God in all the earth. So Naaman is talking like a believer at this point, giving every evidence that he is a believer, saying there is no God. This is exactly what Christians do. There's no other way to be saved other than in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And what comes out, what is interesting about what Naaman said is that of all the things he might have been thinking about, and of all the things that he could have said, what's on his heart is the worship of God. He's, you know what, if you want, I, I want to I serve God, I want to take these gifts, there's no God anywhere else in all the world, and oh, by the way, I'm going to be going into a place where we're worshiping a pagan God, and I don't want the Lord to be thinking that I'm worshiping Him. Can I take two mules loads worth of earth, maybe putting it down on the ground around where they might have been as a reminder to Naaman? Can I take the load of earth with me? And when I go in that house, I just want the Lord to know and I want your blessing that this is okay to know that I may bow down in a posture of worship to help my master up and down as part of my job, but I don't want the Lord to think that I'm worshiping the God of Rimen or Rimen at all. I want the Lord to know that he's got my heart, that, that I'm worshiping him that I'm just going through the motions to fulfill my job description, but I'm not actually worshiping the Lord. Right after Naaman's converted, that's what's on his heart and mind. What? The worship of the Lord. He wants to serve the Lord well, and he wants the Lord to know, you've got my heart, you've got my attention, I want to serve you, so please don't misunderstand anything that I might do externally as anything but just going through the motions. I don't want to spend much time with this, I just want to mention this. The Lord is absolutely concerned about our hearts, beloved, what we think of Him. Sometimes it's good for us as, you know, maybe seasoned Christians, mature Christians, Christians long in the faith, 
Just stop and take a look at this brand new convert, this pagan who knows nothing about Israel's worship, who knows nothing probably about all the commands, Exodus, Leviticus, <laughs> but he knows enough that when he goes back to Syria, he wants the Lord Jehovah Yahweh to know, I'm not worshiping Rimen, I'm worshiping you. And just because I go through these motions, please don't misunderstand this. And again, that was fine. But this is the case with all of us, or it ought to be the case with us, that, that our hearts are just so enamored with the Lord that, that no matter what we're doing, we want the Lord to know, I love you and I cherish you above everything. Uh, this is what the Christian heart looks like. Lord, you've regenerated me. I came to you filthy, full of leprosy, full of sin, and you washed me clean. I didn't do anything. I didn't pay you any money. I just humbled myself. You humbled me. <laughs> you gave me a new heart, and I was washed clean in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. Now, Lord, I serve you. I love you. But that should be characteristics of all of our hearts. Again, I don't want to uh, I, I don't want to make too much of this, but are our hearts just so enamored with the Lord that there's no room for any other idols, any other gods in there? We're looking at what he's done, saying, Lord, if you've done all this for me, <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time worshiping created things, worshiping false God, worshiping idols. I'm just going to worship and serve you, and I want you to know that. The Lord is concerned about our attitudes and concerned about our hearts. Where is your attitude? Where is your heart? Where is, where is mine? So the second thing I want us to notice um, is the freeness of God's grace. Now, the word, the word grace simply means gift, so a free gift is kind of an oxymoron. It, it's, it, it, it's, uh, the words are escaping my, my mind right now. It's, it's redundant, there we go, it's redundant. You don't have to say free grace or free gift. A gift is simply free. Uh, but I want us to see the freeness of God's grace, and I want us to notice that in verses 15 to 16. So Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. So he went and washed. He comes back to Elisha's hut, as it were, and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, as Elisha speaking, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. In order to understand what's going on here, it might be helpful. So Elisha is under tremendous temptation here to actually pervert and twist the gospel around. He's not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. He lived a life very much like Elijah. And Elijah, uh, we know John the Baptist was likely dressed like him. Uh, backwoods, nothing fancy, no wealth, uh, dressed very simply and ate uh, very simply as well. So Elisha is now standing in front of someone from a foreign country who came with 750 pounds of silver, 290,000 bucks today, 150 pounds of gold, about $4.5 million worth of gold, and 10 changes of clothing, which probably were not sweatpants and a sweatshirt, right? Nice clothing. Uh, for those of you who are kids, I did the math. Um, if maybe some of you have seen a $100 bill, or maybe your, your parents have showed you one of those, it was just big, really big bills, right? Naaman came with the equivalent of 48,000 of those $100 bills. So this is like his back pocket is bursting with $100 bills, a, a, a ton of money. So you have this contrast, Elisha likely living in poverty or very modestly, and Naaman. And Naaman actually offers a gift to Elisha. Elisha doesn't have to ask, Naaman offers it. Here you go. You know, we know what Gehazi is doing in the background. He's like, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> I want this, we'll get to him later. But Elisha says no. But that wasn't the end of it. 
So Naaman urged him, and Elisha absolutely refused. So this was likely an ongoing conversation. Naaman, come on, Elisha, God has done this. I, I want to pay. And Elisha, I'm not taking a thin dime. I'm not taking any of your money, all your gold, all your silver. You came here with all that money, let's say $5 million of this stuff roughly. You're going home with all $5 million worth, every last bit, plus two mule loads of our dirt. <laughs> so you came here and you're leaving with more and you're cleansed, you're saved. That's how this conversation went. Elisha absolutely uh, refused. And uh, uh, so after he urged him to take it, uh, said no, I really want you to take it, please take it, I insist you take it, I demand you take it, and Elisha over and over again, not. Why wouldn't he take it? Why wouldn't he do it? I had a seminary professor actually, we asked, we were all wondering as seminary students how to preach Christ. You go to every passage of the Old Testament, you need to preach Christ. And so he pulled this passage out in a classroom setting, it was awesome of him, and just said for class today, I'm going to preach on 2 Kings 5. And he did it in one really simple thing, it was like a half an hour, and just picked out really kind of one thing. And what he hammered on was, was exactly what's going on here. Why would Elisha not receive it? And he said this, and it, 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 light bulbs clicked on in our brains all over the room. <laughs> For Naaman's thinking, when God's bless you, you pay them for services rendered. Or if you want services rendered in the future, you pay them ahead of time, sort of an advance in payment, and then they'll bless you. So it's a tit-for-tat thing. It's a, I scratch the God's back, they scratch my back. And Elisha knew this. And so when Naaman came and said, as it were, look, your God cured me and saved me, I want to pay something. I want to offer this God this. Elisha said no because he's protecting the free grace of God. He doesn't want Naaman leaving thinking, oh, Israel's God, there's no God in, in all the world like Israel's God, but, but he is similar to them in the sense that you got, you got to pay him for services rendered or his people, his prophet is glad to take money. So he's not totally dissimilar from the gods in Syria. And Elisha wants Naaman to understand, no, with Israel's God, with the true God of heaven and earth, he does not charge for salvation. Salvation is free, absolutely free, and it comes to us with, with zero uh, strings, as it were. So, uh, again, when you look at this in the context of the New Testament, we already know this, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That's exactly how all of us are saved. We know this. Elisha knew it. Naaman is discovering this uh, truth. And Elisha is very concerned about defending the freeness of God's grace. Uh, there was a, a famous Bible teacher, um, W.R. Newell, who was kind of making the rounds, and he uh, ended up in St. Louis, and he was teaching through the Bible, kind of doing an evangelist, but also teaching um, uh, uh, sessions. And he taught on Romans 4, 5, to him who worketh not, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, as faith is reckoned unto him for righteousness. And there was a really uh, well-known ungodly individual who was at this meeting. The whole town knew. I think he was involved. I, I, I'm not going to say what he I can't remember. He was involved in some pretty significant stuff, use your imagination, in St. Louis. The whole town knew he was a rough character, really ungodly mess. And he came to, to W.R. Newell and said this, I've been coming to these noon meetings for six weeks. I do not think I have missed a meeting. But I cannot tell you a word of what you said today. I did not sleep last night. I've hardly had any sleep for three weeks. I have gone to one man after another to find out what I should do, and I do what they say. I've read the Bible, 
I've prayed, I've given money away, but I am the most ungodly wretch in this town. Now what do you tell me to do? I waited here today to ask you. I have tried everything, but I am so ungodly. So W.R. Newell, it was a, the Lord in his providence set this up perfectly. He was on Romans 4, 5, and he said to the man, uh, this verse is about you, uh, the ungodly. And then the man replied, but what must I do, Mr. Newell? And Mr. Newell said, read the verse again. To him that does not work. To him that does not work. And said, you're telling me I need to tell you to do something. I'm telling you the verse says don't do anything. So you're telling me to do something and I can't do that. I can't tell you to, to save yourself by praying. I can't tell you to save yourself by doing anything. I can tell you this, stop doing stuff. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Stop working for it. To him that doesn't work, that's the one that God justifies, that ungodly person who does no work. And the man came to faith and actually, I think the next day maybe, actually addressed the whole, the whole gathering saying, I, I used to be a wretch and now the Lord in his grace has saved me. It was an incredible testimony. Beloved, that's what, that's what Elisha is trying to protect, the freeness of God's grace, that there's nothing any non-Christian needs to do. You believe in Jesus, what do I do? Nothing. You trust in him for salvation, that's it. God will even give you that faith. Salvation is absolutely free of charge. Elisha understood it. We get a different scenario now uh, in the despising of God's grace when we come to Gehazi, beginning at verses 19 and then into 20. When Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Naaman packed up all of his silver, all of his, I guess he never really unpacked it, did he? He just simply turned everything around and he's heading back home. His testimony would have been, I came to Israel with a lot of wealth. The servant of God, this prophet Elisha, healed me of everything and wouldn't take a thin dime. And actually he gave me some black dirt to take all the way back to Syria and worship God on. That's amazing. Israel's God is like any other God. Every other God you gotta pay, not Israel's God. But Gehazi didn't like that. He couldn't handle this fact. He thought Elisha had extended Naaman too much grace. So I can't believe my master just did this. And there's something in what Gehazi says that actually stands out. If you look at verse 20, um, said Gehazi, see my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian. And I wanna I want mention that again this Naaman the Syrian. There's a, there's a, it's not just has spared Naaman the commander or Naaman the Syrian, but this one. And there's a, there's a slight in there by the language Gehazi uses. It, it, it tells us what his attitude is. This Naaman the Syrian, there's a sneering in his thoughts as he's talking to himself. So this Naaman the Syrian, the pagan, the unbeliever, the non-Israelite, my master spared him. I'm gonna go undo this and go charge him. Why did Gehazi do this? Gehazi did not understand that God's grace is for the world. He did not understand that God's grace treats every single person, whether Israelite and Jew or non-Israelite, non-Jew, uh, it, it treats every single human being the exact same way. So Gehazi should have been standing in the background saying, amen, Elisha, this is awesome. You let him go home free. I love this. This is great. Instead, he's got eyes of greed now and he's willing to pervert the gospel of God in order to pad his own pocket. 
Now, remember who this was written to. Second Kings was written first to the Israelites. Remember how Jesus in Luke 4 talked about Naaman. A lot of lepers in Israel, but only Naaman was healed. So Gehazi is really a picture of the Old Testament church, the people of God, their attitude toward these pagans. And this is written to kind of wake Israel up. Wow, um, God does have a heart toward the pagans around us. He really does have a heart. Do we? Are we, after, are we going to charge them like the Gehazi did? So remember, Israel's reading this. The reaction isn't pretty. We saw that in, in Luke 4 when Jesus talked to the Jews about Naaman the leper was the only one healed and they wanted to kill Jesus. Same thing going on here in Israel. So this is really, you might say, a wake-up call for the church. I want to just mention to us, I don't, I, who knows our hearts? The Lord knows each of our hearts, but this is a great opportunity to consider in each of our hearts uh, whether we're like Elisha and get it or like Gehazi and don't. Do we despise uh, the grace of God, the freeness of God's grace? If you think about this, maybe some of us will have lived 50 years as a believer. Would it get under our skin if God uh, called on their deathbed a non-Christian who was a wretch and your enemy, someone you couldn't stand your whole life, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor, maybe an acquaintance, but all of a sudden called them to himself and gave them the gift of eternal life. And so now you're in heaven and they're right next to you. They were wretched, they were ungodly, they did no, no good works, right? They didn't have time. They were on their death like the thief on the cross. If that gets under our skin, like it got under Gehazi's skin, you know, this Syrian, this pig, he's not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. He's not like me. He's not, he's not serving the Lord all these years, etc. He doesn't deserve this. If that gets under our skin, maybe we don't understand the freeness of God's grace. Maybe we actually despise it. Maybe we've actually bought into the idea that we're saved because we're good people, that we're saved because we were raised in the church, that we we're saved because we've known the Lord longer than someone else who's newly converted. If that's the case, we're starting to despise God's grace. We're starting to play God and almost determine who God can dispense his grace to. Again, not a good spot for our hearts uh, to be in. Beloved, the Lord has called us as his church to go out into the world and to spread this free grace, free of charge. He wants us to be doing that, not charging other people, but loving to see God's, God's gospel spread around free of charge. Gehazi did not get that. And so we see in his attitude something that shouldn't be there. Now, the next thing, the undoing of God's grace, Gehazi's attitude is now put into, into practice. He, he sneers at the Syrian, he can't stand that the Syrian got off free of charge, and he gets the exact same blessing that Gehazi does. He can't stand this. And so now he's going to put his, his belief into action. Verses 21 to 23. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master sent me to say, There have just now come uh, to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. So Gehazi has moved into action. He's gonna, he's gonna solve this problem. <laughs> he runs out there 
and ran after Naaman. It's interesting that Naaman actually got down off his chariot, which again tells you this, this is a humbled man. He's a military. You don't get down off your chariot when you're approached by other people. You stay right in that position uh, because you're not, they're not a threat to you if, you if you stay in your position of power. He's been humbled. He gets down and asks him, look, is everything going okay? Yep, everything's going away. By the way, we just had two seminary students. They showed up. They're poor. And my master, this is a, a, this is, this is a whopper of a lie. My master Elisha said to send me out here and to go get from you a change of clothing and a talent of silver to help these poor sons of the prophets, the, the seminary students out. And, Elisha, and Naaman, more than glad to help. You know what? Not just one talent of silver, why don't you take two? Then he wraps everything up, has his servants carry it. Gehazi isn't even carrying this stuff. And then off they go. And so then Gehazi comes up with some other stuff, you know, uh, uh, where have you been? You know, when, uh, when Elisha asked him and, and that conversation uh, didn't go well at all. But why is this so wrong for Gehazi to go after Naaman? What's, what's wrong with this? Here's why it's so wrong. When Naaman goes back now, he can say, you know what? These people are a lot like us. Elisha, which was not uncommon in their day, Naaman could say this, Elisha was just being overly polite like some people are. He said, I won't take anything, but what Elisha really meant is, actually, I do want something, but, but I'm too proud to say it or I don't want to say it. I want you to impose it on me. And so Elisha said, no, no, no to my face. But as soon as I left, Elisha changed his mind, which again was not uncommon in that day to happen. And so I gladly gave uh, to Israel's prophet, I gladly gave to Israel's God, a talent of silver and a change of clothing so that, so that uh, two talents of silver so that the sons of the prophets could be cared for and these seminary students could, could learn well. And now I know Israel's God is indeed different because he's the only one who could heal me, but you still pay for services rendered. You still pay for it. And what Elisha said wasn't true. What Gehazi said was true. Israel's God does not save by grace. And a question for us to answer then, I guess, or to ask ourselves is this. Do we have in our community together, do we pervert the, or do we twist or we distort the free grace of God in how we talk to non-Christians and how we uh, reach out to unbelievers? It's a great question to be asking. And before we ask that, before we dive into this more, I wanna ask each of us here, myself included, how much did we pay to be saved? So we were at one point Naaman, right? We were conceived in sin. We just sung about it, Psalm 51. So in our mother's womb, we were guilty before God, condemned. At some point in time, the Lord gave us the new birth. Maybe at two months in the womb, maybe at 50 years old, some point in time, he gave us new birth. How much did we pay for it? Well, nothing. What did we do for it? God washed us clean, just like Naaman. We just believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all we did. So we were saved free of charge. None of us can go before God and say, you know what, I paid for my salvation. I'm a citizen of heaven because I bought it. I purchased it. All of us have to say, I'm a citizen of heaven. I belong to God now because he freely gave me this gift. He gave me a Christmas gift. And when I said, I want to pay for that Christmas gift, he said, it's Christmas. <laughs> you don't pay for gifts at Christmas. Then it's not a gift. <laughs> it's a purchase. And he gave us his son. Beloved, God did this free of charge. For every child here is wondering, what, maybe what is Christianity? How do I be saved? Look, God gives you this free gift in Jesus Christ. That's it. 
this free gift. It's free. You can't pay for it at all. You can't pay him a penny. You can't pay him saying, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray enough and then you'll save me. I'm going to do enough good works. I'm going to be my parents enough. I'm going to work at my job hard enough and then you'll save me. God doesn't accept any of that. He says, I'll cleanse you. And when we come and say, I want you to take this, he says, no, I won't take it. My son, Jesus did all the work. I get all the glory and I'm not going to share my glory with you. Dead people can't contribute to their salvation. I raised you from the dead. You're mine now. It's free of charge. Now go serve me. Go love me. Go love the people around you. But, but this exchange between us is no exchange. I did this all by myself. I saved you. Beloved, we paid nothing, okay? Not a bit. We have to be convinced of that. Because if we think that we've paid something, then when non-Christians come into the faith or we're talking to them about the gospel, we're going to implicitly require them to pay something too. And that's what Gehazi is wrestling with. He had forgotten that God saved him by his grace and that Gehazi did not deserve to be a child of God at all. He did not deserve to be an Israelite. He did not deserve to be in the church. Uh, and and uh, he had forgotten that message. So how might we undo God's free grace? There's an infinite number of ways this might take place. I just wrote some ideas down just to consider this. When we say to other people, I will embrace you as a brother or sister in Christ if you dress a certain way, but if not, could you please pay me by buying new clothes? That can be saying, look, I'll embrace you as a brother or sister in Christ, which, but, but that's not quite enough for fellowship. For Gehazi, it wasn't just enough that Naaman was now cleansed by God. He's like, no, Naaman's cleansed by God. He's a believer, but he better pay up too. He, he owes us something because we did something for him. He owes Israel's God. And I'm not going to fellowship with him until he pays up. He owes me. We can do the same thing in the way we treat other people. Um, I'll embrace you as a brother or sister in Christ if your house is as neat and clean as mine. If you smell good. If not, could you please take a shower? Pay me with that. If you have a certain last name, right? We're in a Dutch community. Vander, whatever, D, whatever. If you don't have a certain last name, though, I can't fellowship with you because you don't fit the bill. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll treat you like a brother or sister in Christ. I'll embrace you if you've never murdered somebody, if you've never aborted a child, uh, if you're not an alcoholic, if you've never wrestled with addictions, if your life has achieved a certain level of sanctification, I'll embrace you as a brother or sister in Christ. Otherwise, pay me. How? Grow up. Get your life together, and then maybe I can call you a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, Theology-wise, I'll embrace you as a brother and sister in Christ if you know all Reformed theology, if you know as much as I do. Two natures of Christ. Uh, uh, Infralapsarianism, superlapsarianism. Uh, so many doctrines, election, etc. I'll embrace you as a brother and sister in Christ. That's Jesus plus. That's you trust in Christ, of course, but pay up. There's still more to do before you can actually be fully welcomed as a child of God. And then I want us to notice, finally, the price for undoing God's grace. Verses 25 to 27, he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. So 
on the surface, this is almost funny, right? <laughs> don't try this at home. Gehazi, the servant of a prophet, lied to a prophet. You don't do that. <laughs> a prophet, another way it translated, is oftentimes translated seer. He sees everything. God tells it to him. So <laughs> Gehazi comes back and just tells you how blinding sin is. You know, Gehazi, go lie to your mom, go lie to your dad. Elisha already knows what you did. Don't lie to him. <laughs> but he does it. And, and it turns, and he told some really big whoppers. And then Gehazi ends up with Naaman's uh, leprosy. Gehazi ends up with the disease that Naaman had. Naaman, the former pagan, is blessed. Gehazi and his descendants are cursed. Naaman's brought into the camp now. Gehazi is kicked out of the camp. You have leprosy, you got to get outside the camp. And Elisha told him that it was wrong because of the time. Was this the time to do that? Was this the time for olives, orchards? Was this the time for, uh, for money, for clothing? Was it a time to go charge Naaman for this stuff? What are you thinking, Gehazi? Was it a time to accumulate possessions? He was just saved. And the answer to that question is no. It wasn't the time for it. Maybe if Naaman came back next year and said, hey, the Lord has been incredible to me. He saved me by his grace. Take all this stuff. Use it in service to the Lord. Then maybe it would have been the time. But not at that time, because now Naaman will go home thinking that Israel's God doesn't save by grace. He still charges, but he's overly polite about it. First, he says no a bunch, and then he sends someone after you and says, actually, we changed our minds, but it's a smaller amount than everything he brought. Now Naaman will go home with that mindset. So Elisha said no, it's not the time for that. Beloved, we, if we're not careful, we can do the exact same thing that Gehazi did and uh, uh, end up uh, not being great servants of the Lord. Uh, in Galatians 1.9, Paul wrote this, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And he says, If me or even an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches another gospel, other than the one that Paul preached, which is salvation is by grace, it's free of charge, let them be accursed, let them, let them go to hell, let them be damned. Powerful, very powerful language actually from the Apostle Paul. And Elisha is doing the exact same thing. I wonder if Paul had this, this very episode in mind when he wrote that to the Galatians. Because Gehazi preached another gospel to Naaman and he ends up cursed with leprosy. And we can end up doing the same thing, not that we'll have leprosy, we can do the exact same thing uh, if we uh, embrace people and tell them they can be saved if they believe in Jesus plus anything else. In Galatians, it was believe in Jesus and be circumcised, said the Judaizing teachers. Believe in Jesus, be circumcised, and then, and then you're good to go. We can say believe in Jesus and believe what we do theologically. Believe in Jesus, live just like we do. Believe in Jesus, dress, talk, act exactly like us, and behave in certain ways. That's a Jesus plus gospel. The gospel says, believe in Jesus, and you're saved. End of story, case closed. And then we serve the Lord after that. And that's what God wants his people promoting, this free grace. So let me just conclude with, with this. As I was meditating on this and thinking about this, you know, God is way more gracious than I am. He's way more gracious than any of us in this room are. He's way more gracious than all of his people are. We might like to charge people. 
We might like to say, believe in Jesus and get your act together, and then you're a believer. And God says, believe in my son, and you're saved. And our opportunity, our privilege is to do what Elisha did and not what Gehazi did. It's to, when people ask or when we go out and we tell others, it's to talk about this incredible message that saved us as well, that there's nothing you gotta do, not a thing. Oh, but I'm a mess, yep, we all are. Oh no, but you don't know, I've done things that you will never do, okay. So you pulled the trigger, you went to the clinic, you did the, you did the thing, whatever it is, I haven't done that. I'm still as sinful as you are, but I can understand, given your view, that you're more sinful. Fine, let's just say that's the case. You have nothing to do other than believe in Jesus because God justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify the godly. He doesn't justify the good. He justifies the ungodly. Beloved, can you imagine the delight that we have, the joy that we have, the privilege that we have of taking this message out? There is no other message like it. No other religion says, don't do a thing. <laughs> You want to be an adherent to our religion? By the way, stop doing everything. <laughs> see, see Jesus, see the one on the cross, see him bleeding, see him dying, see him rising out of the grave. You just believe in him. You just look to him. You just trust in him. That's all you got to do. And then you're saved. And everything you do after that is as a child of God. It's not to earn salvation. Love it. What an incredible message. What, what an incredible thing. It's free. And we get to go out as a congregation, as individuals, as, as part of the church worldwide. We get to go out and tell a lost world this amazing news. That's incredible. So let's examine our hearts. Have we become like Gehazi? If so, let's repent. And where we're like Elijah and promoting this free grace, let's continue to do it, not just individually, but also corporately as a church. Let's pray together.